Welcome to Tech Royalty, where we celebrate the kings of tech. I'm here with my boy, the big tech genius guru, my man, Esco Obama. Give him some applause. Man, yeah, we're going to get into it. He's going to have some good stuff for y'all. He's very knowledgeable. He's been doing this thing for a while. And um, we actually have some similar things in our background as far as starting tech, as far as being a college dropout. But um, Esco, I'm gonna let you go into your story and let let us know how you got into tech. Yeah, no, thanks for the introduction. Uh, so yeah, my my story. So I grew up in a low income public housing section eight. <coughs> uh, you know, for those not familiar with section eight, basically is subsidized housing uh, for people who are basically you know in poverty, who can't afford to have their own housing. And it's usually for for families, and then you know, as you get older, people kind of get grandfathered in, and so on. And you know, for my case, it was a single mother household with four kids. You know, no support from any of the fathers, nothing like that. And we had to, you know, she she was raising us on her own. You know, she had to do go out to work, get a job, and we had to be in her, in her house. You know, getting raised by our siblings, basically, uh, whenever there wasn't any time, any gaps. And then when it came to like food and stuff, you know, that that could have been an issue sometimes. You know, we got evicted twice. I got evicted twice when I was 10. When we was all there. Another time when I was 19, when, you know, my mother had passed away and I had to take over. But um, even before we go to that, so my, my journey started basically in between that when I was 14 years old. When I was 14, I had gotten this, uh, this what they call crack right now. And not not the drug crack, <laughs> not that one. <laughs> no, the software crack. And the software crack allows you to use programs that are very expensive for free. Mm-hmm. And there was this program called Flash. And I loved Flash because, or well, I love Flash games because it was very popular at the time. <clears throat> Around like 2003, 2004, where you would go online and like everything, every, any kind of interactive media is in Flash. So I had aspirations for building animations for, you know, I don't think at the time when I started, I wanted to make games, maybe because I didn't realize that was possible, but for whatever reason, you know, I was into writing scripts when I was younger, even younger, like in elementary school, about anime type stuff. So I had wanted to, to make animations of those types of scripts. So that's what got me really into Flash. And then, you know, once I started look, playing around with it, got the crack, started doing animations, Spent many nights, many weekends playing around with it, getting more expertise. Then I found out there's a way to make animation even easier. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, so I would, you know, I wanted to do this animation where there was a ball bouncing, and I found out you could do that with ActionScript. And ActionScript is like it's similar to JavaScript. They all based on the ActionScript uh, standard, but ActionScript was a language for Flash. And I was able to use ActionScript to make the ball go up and down, on, on also uh, from left to right. And it also changed the height, you know, little by little to make it look like, like a little bounce. I was able to do all that just with coding, you know, and it's way faster than animating it hand by hand, even with the tweens and everything. And I was just fascinated by that. And I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. You know, I wanted to kind of keep going forward with this. And I did a little thing where um, this little particle effect where you have a picture of like a fireball and then you could have, you know, I use a for loop to add multiple fireballs to the screen and then each of them go off in their own predetermined direction. And then it looks like, you know, just a, a fire blast. And it was like that, that type of stuff was real interesting playing around with particle effects, 
you know, playing around with different dimensions of stuff, animations through code. That's what really got me started. Uh, and that's how I started really in, in the front end realm. And then slowly over time, I, I shifted more to be full stack. Nowadays, I'm mostly doing back end stuff, but I still keep my front end skills up to date. You know, Flash is dead right now. <laughs> as far as yeah. like, if you want to go get a job with Flash developer, good luck. <laughs> Unless you already, you know, have deep expertise and you're working on legacy systems. There's not many new opportunities in the Flash room right now, which is why I was lucky how, you know, ActionScript 2.0, 3.0 was based on something called ECMAScript, which is more of like a standard uh, that defines how do you create a programming language without specifying the actual implementation. So JavaScript is based exactly on the same com- concepts as ActionScript. So that's why I was able to, you know, more easily transition. And then things with the browser and the DOM, um, that is not the exact same as Flash as far as the, the UI, but it's similar concepts. And when I found out, you know, in the beginning, I didn't know you could like manipulate the DOM. You know, I thought you could just, you know, do alert messages, you can use CSS and all that stuff. But I didn't know you can actually create interactive applications with JavaScript at the time. It was like back in 2005, maybe 2006. And that's what really kind of pushed me forward into front of development with, with nice, JavaScript. Nice. So yeah, I was doing that from like, you know, when I was 14. And then at the same time, there was opportunity that they, they brought up in school to do this College Now program. And basically College Now was a program where as a high school student, you could take college classes. And one of the classes was uh, C++. Uh, intro to all six, Computer Science 101, C++. So I did that that course during that summer. And I so I got an A in that course because the concepts that I learned, you know, it's funny because I learned about classes and and for loops and everything before that even started. Just my and it was only like a few months before that started too, because of my foray into Flash. Um, there was like documentation online. Was it W three schools uh, and like Flash Kit and all these places where they told you about different things? And I was making up. I was making like a a, a game, and it was like the hero class and the and the monster and the villain class. And, you know, when I look back, I'm like, that's kind of crazy. You know, I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about what a class was, but because it was in the context of a game and I was like, okay, I need to make this hero entity. And I was actually having the, the actual problems that required a class to, to, to improve. You know, that's another thing about learning things. Like people sit in school and learn these concepts that they don't, they don't have any applications for. They don't really internalize it and they don't learn it as much because of that. Like they don't see the importance of it and the connections don't get made in their mind because there's no there's no direct use case. But for me, I wanted to make a game. I had this one panel that was all with ActionScript. I was I had like a variable like like hero X, hero Y, you know, monster X, monster Y, variable X, whatever it was. Everything was in like one file, uh, all mushed together, and like it was very complicated. And I forgot exactly what I was searching, but when I came across this thing about you know, using classes, I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is exactly what I need. So like that kind of mindset of like, this is what I need to solve a problem. I think that's the reason why it was it was real easy for me to understand what classes were because I was having this problem. I was like, okay, everything inside this hero will be in this one container or this one block, even even this own file. And it was way easier to say hero hero dot X plus plus or plus equals five or however much they wanted to increase in the, in the, in the plane. And you know, that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, just going out, doing more and more research. Whenever I hit a roadblock, that, that's, how, that's how I learned the best. You know, if I want to learn something new, I just try to build something, even if I know nothing about it. And then if I hit a roadblock, I have a specific goal. And the reason why I feel like I'm stuck is because I want to do something that I can do. And when I've had that goal and I, I go online, go to Google, research it, and 
kind of find my answers from multiple different sources. In all times, people ask me for any resources. I just tell them that, you know, I don't have any go-to places or specific things. I, I just find, try to find multiple sources of information and then kind of put them together, see, you know, what's, some things are missing from some other ones or you get a different perspective and so on. And I, that's just how I, I find to be to work really well when it comes to learning new things. Um, and, you know, I remember kind of skipping forward a little bit because I, I had dropped out of college, but when my, my first, uh, I think it was like a meeting or something, some kind of event to like introduce some new students to some other students. You know, one of the seniors there was talking about how like functions or how like functions are like so, so hard or like it's crazy and stuff like that. And I was like, in my mind at the time, I already been in functions since I was 14, you know, making games and stuff. I was like, really? That's not, that's not a hard thing. And that's kind of like, you know, going back to what I was saying about how if you're learning stuff, whether it's school or whatever environment, and there's no direct application to you, or if you don't understand the inspiration for it, the reason it is, you just kind of accepting it as knowledge. It's going to be harder to internalize it, to understand it. You might even feel it's hard. But, you know, if you have an actual use case for it, like you're building something, it's going to be the opposite. You're like, oh, thank God this exists. Like, I need this. This is, this is making my life easier. And, <clears throat> you know, throughout, throughout my, my career, and I'm sure there's many engineers like this, especially when you're more junior, there's certain uh, technologies that you, people try to, try to tend to stay away from or they feel like it's too, it's too hard, right? And then, and then as soon as you're trying to do it, you're like, oh, wow, this is easy. I should have did this a long time ago. It's like that type of situation because, you know, can't give like an exact example right now, but like once you go out and learn that thing mm-hmm. and it's actually making life easier, now it doesn't feel like it's complex or hard. Now it feels like it's something that was made specifically to solve your, your complex problem. And that doesn't just stop at the junior level. As you keep leveling up, things that you thought were like too advanced, too complex, start to become uh, a little bit, like start to, to, to feel easier. Uh, not because you're a genius, whatever it is, just because you're focused on it, you're in the domain of it, and you un- you understand the use case of it, and like from your mindset, it's making your life easier, not not harder. You know, and that also relates to the things like AI. <clears throat> Sorry, because uh, like you know, I did a course back in 2018 on Udacity around building neural networks and things like that. I had no idea how it worked before that. You know, it seemed very complicated, but just the way that they explained it. You know, I, I internalize what it means to train a model using, you know, stochastic regression or, or back, back propagation, and it just makes a lot more sense. You know, whereas most people it's kind of like a black box; they don't know where to begin. I don't have that much advanced information in in AI in in, in uh, building neural networks, but I got that foundation that now I can look at these things coming out like ChatGPT, and I at least have mm-hmm. an understanding of you know how it could be doing what it's doing. Um. So yeah, like I, I just, you know, from that perspective, people think that it's, things are hard to do. They kind of shun themselves away from it. You know, I would say, go for it, you know? Just just remember, once you learn it, it's not going to seem hard. Because like, once you understand something necessarily, it's kind of impossible to see it as... Now, the only reason that you think it's hard is because you don't understand it. But once you get over that hump, you know, that means when people think that they can't do something, it's just because they didn't do it. You know, that's really what it is. Um, so yeah, you know, back, 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 back to what I was saying when I was 14, you know, building out these games, uh, playing around with action script, uh, making animations more easily and so on. Uh, it was more of a hobby for me. It was, it was definitely a passion. You know, I would do that, stay up mad late, mad late, you know, in the AM, especially on weekends, doing this just for fun. 
Yep. Uh, and then I wasn't thinking about money until one day, you know, this site, newgrounds.com and these other sites was talking about paying people to list their games. And it was paying like $500 or something like that. And to me, I was like, what? $500 for, for building a game? That's, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's, that's nothing. But some people, people get $500 an hour. But to me, I was like, wow, $500, that's, that's amazing. You know, what I didn't realize at the time was they was paying $500 just for the license, for the rights to put the game on that website. And then they would probably do like a, a revenue share of like advertisements or whatever it is. But like, for, and so it was even way more lucrative than I thought it was. But just that, just that five hundred dollars, you know, to put your, your game on the website thing, that really, you know, sparked the light in my, my fire in my in my in my mind. Cause like, wow, I want to do this thing. I love doing this thing, and you get paid for it. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, I was I was kind of like, you know, figuring out ways to increase my skills. You know, I always wanted to make a game, so I was like trying to commit myself more to it. I would always just kind of make parts of a game and then move on, which is I think is common across a lot of engineers, where we kind of go hard on something for a little bit. And then the passion for that specific thing dies down and you move on to the next thing. And the next I feel thing. triggered. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I have a whole graveyard of shit like that. And I think it's not a bad thing because you don't want to necessarily devote your resources and time, which is very limited, just for the sake of finishing something. You know, as long as you learn something and you improve your skill set, that could be even better because you can do go through five different projects never finish it, you know, even in like five months, right? Back to back to back. You can learn so much things that will enable you to build even more complex things in the future, as opposed to if you had just finished this one thing from start to end, you know, they say the 80-20 rule, like the first 80% is easy to get, and then the last 20 you got to wrap up. They, they, may, have, they may, not, may have been, but they may not have been any extra additional value to finishing that thing up besides doing all the grunt work to make it thing polished and stuff like that. So it could be a good thing. You know, a lot of times it is a good thing when people jump from, from project to project because it because the learning aspect of it. You know, you're learning how to do different things. Um, and then, of course, you know, focus is good too, but people have to realize focus is good once you know that whatever you're building is worth investing in. That's why there's things like MVPs. You know, if you're trying to build a company or a startup, you want to you don't want to, you know, go out and build it as if you're operating at Google scale. You know, you don't want it to be able to handle, people ask, you know, a lot of, especially when the junior engineers, they, they ask like, know, which database should I use? Which language should I use? Or how do I go make this scale? You know, the reality is, the true, true reality is none of that actually matters. You know, as long as the language could build, as long as you use the language to build an application, as long as the database can store information, you can use it and it'll work. Mm. And it working is the actual goal for the, for your side project or for the first iteration of some kind of, some kind of product. It just needs to work. Because for as long as it's not working, you're not getting any value out of it. And you'll never know if you should keep working on it. You shouldn't assume that you should keep working on it. You should only keep working on it if it's worth it. Um, so choose whatever language you want. It don't matter if it's slow. Uh, that's going to be one trade-off in the beginning. And then over time, you're going to improve it. Yep. And you're going to change the language. You're going to change the database. Because it's even going to be different use cases that maybe you didn't think about that's going to come up or there's going to be certain points that are harder to scale that you, you never thought would have been harder to scale just because of the usage patterns of it. So you don't want to prematurely you know, choose the best, what you think is the best things because it might not be. It might be a lot of investment and time into something to make it scale in ways that it will never need to scale ever because either it's being used in a different way 
or because investment in it completely stopped because it's a product nobody wants or you you realize you know you're not really interested in, interested you know, interested in the side project so it don't really matter to you whether whether it's done or not um so yeah you know that's 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 the long and short of it so so basically <laughs> kind of interjecting a lot during different paths but like going back to my 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 timeline um you know unfortunately my mother passed away when i was 17 and throughout all that time i was building up my skills on the side you know, initially not even thinking about how it can make money and then realizing that it can make money, but still not really knowing because it was only $500 for, for a game that I, that I thought you could pay. Uh, and when my mom was in the hospital, uh, you know, I didn't know the severity of the situation that she was going to end up passing away. But at the time I had did like this, I was working at this, um, what do you call those things? You, you got to get these, this blue card, you know, to get permission to work as a teenager. Um, for some reason, I was like fascinated by the idea of like, Know, going out, you know, getting doing some kind of work or business, whatever it is, and then making money. So I was like eager to do that, and then I, and I ended up in this um, we call this school, the school program where they 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 assign kids to different places, and I did it late. I think that's why I did it way late. So there was only the crappy jobs left. <laughs> oh, <laughs> from, from I'm my perspective, uh, yeah, city youth thing, yep. Yeah, exactly, the city youth thing. Right? Yeah, the yeah, working yeah. papers and all that. Yep, exactly. So most of the jobs that people didn't want was the only one that was left. And I got, but I didn't even see it like that. This is just me reflecting right now. <laughs> like I had gotten the um, this thing that's like a janitor role at this at this um intermediate intermediate high school nearby that, that I knew about, and it was like you know two of my friends ended up being there as well. And over that whole time, I think I made five hundred dollars something like that for the summer. But then online on this this forum I was on Flash Kit, which is a forum you go to to learn about Flash stuff and talk about Flash. There's a section on that forum for people who need help and are willing to pay for help. So they create these things called gigs. Um, you know, just like you have a music gig, you know, you go and get paid to perform somewhere. A gig in this world is a, a, a job, a small job where you're not really, you know, getting hired to do something over a period of months. You're really just getting hired to do kind of one thing or fix one thing. And it could, you know, the, the, rank, the link varies, but the idea is that it's like a small, small project. And that's how I really started getting paid to do my work. Cause when I saw that, I was looking at it, I was like, okay, these are actually, I can help them help them out with that. I forgot exactly what the first one was, but I just, I fixed something for in some small flash thing and I got $20 um, via PayPal. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I was kind of like addicted to it, going through it. And it was this, there was this other thing where somebody had this game where you can like rearrange clothing and it was meant for like couples to like help do games like couple to couples therapy or something like that, like power2.com it was. And, you know, I went through the code, I looked at it, you know, I knew how it worked just by reading it. Um, I fixed whatever bug there was and it made it, they made some changes. They wanted to change the sizing of stuff. And then just from that, I think I forgot how much I made. Like little, it was, it was over $400, like over, it was more than the amount I spent the whole summer working as a janitor for. <laughs> and I was like, damn, that's, that's crazy. And, both of those things, though, I never actually got the money because either I, I remember I didn't I didn't sell the PayPal account or something like that. And for the second one, they wanted my social security number for the W nine, which is something that's very common. But I didn't I don't know what they was talking about. I was like, what? Why you want my social security number? I, I was like, <laughs> it was like it was like foreign to me. I was fifteen at the time, by the way. I was fifteen years old. Um, at the, or either fifteen or sixteen, around around that time, mm. and I didn't know like what to expect, so I just didn't even uh, move forward and collect the money from it. 
Um, but I still did it. And that was, that's kind of what, what really made me realize the potential yeah. of this move forward. Cause now I'm in a situation where mother's in the hospital, you know, taking care of ourselves. And, you know, when she ended up passing away, that's when I was also looking for jobs. And, and I would have been doing this anyway, cause like I was really trending towards that, but that's what really made it easier to, to focus on that, especially as opposed to school. Where I wanted to do well, where I would, I would never have time to focus on school because I need to make money. Um, so the first, I guess, on-site job that I got, I had found this listing on Craigslist. You know, I, you know, I uh, actually no, I wouldn't, I didn't find it on Craigslist. A friend of mine did, and he was going there. I was at his house teaching him stuff, how to do a flash, like how to make something go in a circle, um, based on some things I found online about using sine and cosine. Because with the sine waves, you know, they they make those waves. If you put a sine wave on top of a cosine wave, you'll just see like a bunch of circles. They won't look like just regular waves anymore. So it's like this thing where you got to make it follow, make your pixels follow the sine wave at first, and then it follows the cosine waves, and it comes back and then loops again, and it makes like a full circle. So like I love playing around with, with stuff like that. And I was teaching him it, and then it, was, it just happened to be that day he was going to go to to a job interview near our high school. I think I was like six, seven, like 17 at this time. And he was like, hey, you want to come? And it's kind of funny, right? Because like that doesn't happen like in the, in the adult world. It's like you, you go into a job interview. You're not just inviting your friend to come with you and also do the interview. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, I'm like, maybe it's depending on the industry, but that's like something that's kind of kind of odd. Yeah, I never heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because it's like this is the type of things that you, you do or get into when, you, when, you're so, when you're younger and you're into this field. So yeah, he brought me along and he's, he actually was applying for like a, a graphic designer type job with Photoshop. And he was like, yeah, I'll tell them I'm a friend. And by the way, he, he was, he was white. Um, and the, the place we was applying to was owned by two Italians and this is on Staten Island, which is like predominantly white. Um, so like my entry into the, the space was already, you know, seeing mostly people who weren't like me. And it was, it was persistent even, even from that point on throughout, throughout into my, my entire career. Um, so yeah, what, what he was like, yeah, I'll tell him I have a friend. He's really good at flash and, you know, maybe, you know, you could, could interview him. So like we got there and I was wearing my, my, like, it was like a football type jacket, but it was like a Looney Tunes thing. So it was like wild coyote was on the back, but it was like that, that the shape and like texture and color and patterns of, of like a football jacket, baggy jeans, you know, puffy hair out, all that. And he came in with like, you know, button up shirt, button up pants, you know, I don't, maybe had a tie or something like that. and then. We got there. He did his round of his, his little conversation for the interviews because it wasn't like rigorous. It was more of like the you know smaller company, no, nothing like five rounds, nothing like that. And you know he, he did his thing. And he he vouched for me. He said, "Hey, I got a friend here." He's like, "Yeah, bring him in." So then I came in. You know, I showed him my stuff that I was doing on DeviantArt.com, um, which is like a website where people post their art, but it also supports Flash. So I had a bunch of stuff on there, little projects that I did. And he was like blown away. <laughs> like he he gave me his business card twice. He didn't even realize it. Like he subconsciously. And I was, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would love to have you. And then that's how I got my first like, I feel like official official developer job. Because before that, I was doing smaller gigs on like just fixing stuff, but not doing projects end to end. But you know, at that place that I, that I went to Metro Inc. That was when I got like my first developer job. And it was funny because my friend didn't get the job. So it was like, you know, he introduced me to it. He brought me there and he didn't get hired, but then I got hired. But, <laughs> but there was no bad feelings about it, especially it was like different roles and everything. But it was, it was just funny how that turned out. Um, so that that's where I got, you know, 
my first taste of imposter. Well, not my first one, I guess. It was, it was also when I was freelancing too. But I remember I was having heavy imposter syndrome because, you know, they said that they worked with PHP and I hadn't done too much PHP. You know, I had a little bit of experience with it. So I was like diving deep into it, you know, on my own time, learning more and more about it. And then come to turn out, um, they don't really know, the, like they don't really know the details of the technical side. Like there was one person there who was good at, you know, front end type development when it comes to HTML, CSS, and maybe a little bit of JavaScript. But I was the only person there that could actually code. Um, and I didn't realize that in the beginning. Uh, so it kind of it was funny to see that dichotomy between what I was expecting and worried about and what the reality was, where it was like, okay, I was over preparing. Um, and this is almost like a theme uh, throughout my career. Mm. And the same thing happened when I went to New York Times, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was interesting to see that uh, and also how the, the technical side of things was like a mystery to, to them. But to me, I understood it. So there wasn't, there, was, there wasn't as much guidance as well. Like I was learning a lot, but there was no like senior guidance to, to guide me in the right direction. Um, and, and by this time, I was uh, still doing freelance, uh, still doing freelance on the side, still working on the side projects, uh, supporting myself in high school. And, you know, I was like I mentioned before, I was in Section 8. So the rent was still relative, relatively lower than it would have been if I wasn't. You know, I would have, I would have been homeless 100% if that was the case. Um, but it was still problematic. You know, as I mentioned, I got evicted on 19. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was doing my thing at, at the at Metro Inc. I was, in, I was in high school and then went off to, to college, you know, did, did the college applications. And this is a point where, you know, I realized the power of guidership network and just sharing knowledge with your community because some very simple roadblocks prevented me from going to places that maybe, you know, I would have went down a different path. So like, for example, I wanted to apply to MIT and they had like a $25 um, application fee, which to me was crazy because like I didn't, I couldn't afford a $25 application fee. You know, even though I was working, I was, I was playing, buying food and, and paying bills and stuff. And I was like, okay, what's, next, what's, what, what else is there? It's probably, there, was, there was another one, Polytechnic University, um, which is now part of NYU, which is now called NYU Tandon. And they had like a really popular computer science program as well. And the kicker for me was they offered a voucher, a free voucher to apply. So that's really why I applied uh, to that school. And, you know, when I mentioned about network community, like, like something like a $25 roadblock, you know, I'm sure if I have the mindset I have now, I would have been way more resourceful, you know, reach out to people and family, extended family, because that would, I'm sure they would love to pay, help pay $25, you know, to, for that. Reach out to anybody, really talk, talk to the counselors, talk to somebody. I'm sure there's some kind of financial aid type of thing or get, in, get an exception, get a voucher, especially, you know, if I let them know my mother had passed away. See, that's the type mm. of stuff I didn't know about. And a lot of people in, in situations where there's avenues to get out of it, they're not realizing all these things. Even if it's like very low resource, they, like you don't need to do anything to ask, really. Um, it's like, it's hard, to, it's hard to know these things without being connected to people who can tell you about these things. The only reason I know about the voucher is because uh, there was like guidance counselors at the school. And I was telling her about my, um, you know, about me, oh, I did freelance and all that stuff. Oh, she was like, wow. She was like very, very, very impressed. And she she was the one who gave me the voucher um, to apply to the Polytechnic University um, that that I got into, and I was really excited about that. You know, mm -hmm. I was looking forward to going to a, like a, a, a university, you know, learning very advanced technology. I had all these like fantasies about it and everything. 
Uh, and it was cool. I, I was very excited about it. I had good grades as well. Nice. You know, I had I had gotten like a five on the AP Java exam, um, which is like, you know, an exam you take when you're in high school that's that helps you with college credit because those AP courses are like college level type courses. So I you know, I already had a leg up and everything. So yeah, it was it was looking good. But then when I started school, you know, it was a massive time sink because I need to work to make money, but also spend time in school. And a lot of these other courses were like, you know, uh, chemistry, physics, you know, things, things that are not directly going to apply to what I already know what I want to do. You know, a lot of people go to college not knowing what they want to do. Personally, I did. And it was a lot of waste, a lot of time, and a lot of, a hell of a lot of money because, you know, Polytech, NYU, costs like $36,000 a year, like at the time, 32000 and then climbing up. So it required scholarships and also loans and also pay, paying out of pocket for some things. And, you know, after some time, you know, I was, I was doing little side projects, you know, also I did a startup when I was in college, you know, met up with a few people, a few friends of mine, and we had did this thing, uh, you know, build a marketplace for apps to, to buy and sell licenses. Like it was around 2009, I was like 19 at the time. And, you know, we was, you know, we, this is, this is funny, this calls back to what I was just talking about earlier about investing a lot of time. You know, we were trying to build something amazing, right? We were trying to make sure everything was perfect. We were, we were also trying to build a very complex, big project kind of all at once. And something called scope creep. My favorite. Where you initially have an idea. <laughs> I know, right? You initially have an idea of what you want to do. And then you kind of like, as you kind of build it up, you realize the potential for it to go in many different directions and like improve upon it. So for example, you know, we were building the software about, sorry, we were building a, a, a marketplace to, to buy software licenses, which is, is great. It's unique. Uh, there's not many options like that. And there's, there's a need for it. People want to buy licenses to, to build apps and resell apps. But then we were like, okay, well, if we're going to build this, why not also build an app store? Uh, and then like, you know, I'm going to build an app store and have like reviews and stuff when I have gamification, you know, all these stuff kind of like scope creeped into it over time. And we just kept building and building and delaying the launch, delaying, delaying, delaying. Um, and then things kind of fell apart, you know, one to two years, one between one to two years passed by, people started falling off the project and so on. And then eventually we all kind of fell off of it. Um, and at that time we had gotten different jobs, like, like full-time, full-time, well, not full-time, but you know more advanced than what we had before. It's like for me, uh, eventually I had left that place I was at once that knowledge just because the, the commute going to school wasn't really, it didn't make any sense. Um, you know, it couldn't be once that knowledge going to the office and then the same day going to the school. It was just kind of too far. And plus the office had moved to be further away. Um, so it just didn't work out. Um, but I found another place online on, on Craigslist that I went to when you know, I did the interview. They were impressed you know, by my past work. And that was a great experience. You know, there was, there was even more senior developers there. At the time, I didn't know anything about Git. <laughs> so that's, that's where I learned about Git from a, from a friend of mine there. Um, I think maybe you will be using SVN for a short period of time. Um, and then, uh, you know, I learned about things like, you know, see, so one of the guys there, he, he had worked there before and he had left and then came back. And they had trusted him because he had built something that was still working. Um, no, they didn't have really the, the technical expertise at the time to, to, to decide on who to hire, but you know, they had lucked out because he was actually, he was pretty good. Um, and he was looking at my code and he was like, you know, he's, he was, he was honest. He was like, this is actually, this is like spaghetti code. There's no, there's like, there's no architecture to it. And that's when I got my first, like, 
now my mindset's focused on like, okay, the, the architecture of the code matters. Um, and this is something where you're building it because, you know, there's investment behind it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a task, a job, you know, it's, it's for a product that's going to make money, be invested into. So like, this is at the point where it matters to maintain your code, to make sure that it can be modified without any issue or low cost in the future and so on. Uh, because it's, it's going to increase costs, increase bugs if you don't do it the right way at that time. And the right way, you know, there's many levels to it. You could do it. That, that can mean, you know, you have a, a good, clean architecture, clean code, you know, documentation and so on. Um, you know, that doesn't mean necessarily it has to build the scale to billions of users at that point. But there's like increasing levels of of uh, of cl- cleanliness, you know, maintainability, scalability. You know, it's, it's on a scale, like to whatever you need to support, whatever user base, because it wasn't it wasn't large for that. It was about two thousand users, I think, uh, at the time. So it didn't need to scale wide, but it did need to be clean code that was well architecturally broken down to to accept new feature developments without having to break a lot of the application or refactor everything. Um, so yeah, that that's where I kind of got the the mindset of of more, you know, thinking larger. And also another another insight that I had on the job as well. You know, I was working with this JavaScript library, and there was something that wasn't working. So I I just had the idea, why don't I just look inside the code of the library? And I was like. That would, like that sounds like a simple thing, but that's like a leap that people make from just using stuff to realizing that they can go in and figure out how this stuff is working, and then that gives them a better idea of of how it works, so they can use it even better or use it more optimally, or you know solve problems that they're having with whatever library they're using. And that was like a, I feel like that was like a, another shift as well for me in my career. And around this time, we're around like twenty, twenty one years old, still. At this point, basically, either you know, females from dropping out or already had dropped out. I can't remember exactly on, on the timeline at this, at this point. Um, and then you know, more things keep coming up where it's like um, contributing to open source. You know, that's the first time I did that when I was on. on when I had looked, I had found out about Node.js, and I was it was funny because I had made this change within GitHub. Um, I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with it, but on GitHub, you can edit the code within the UI and stuff like that. So I had did I forgot exactly what I did. Yeah, I hate doing that. Yep, exactly. Like that's like the, the new way to do it. Like you don't want to do it that way. I did it that way. It was like something in Node.js. Uh, I was, I, was, I forgot exactly what it was. It was something real small. And then the guy was like, "Oh, thanks, but it looks like um, you didn't run any tests. Like this is done through the UI." So I was like, "Oh, okay." So you know, you have to hold this whole process of like you know unit tests and all that stuff. And as far as uh, when it comes to open source. Um, and there were some things that I fixed in this library called PHPJS and, and all that stuff. That I, the reason why I fixed it was because I had run into that problem myself when I was working with the library. And that's another thing that I realized. All these people spending all this time on open source, a lot of times they're solving their own needs. Um, like, you, like when I was younger, and I'm, I'm sure there's more, there's more, there's a lot of aspirations from junior engineers. So like, oh, I want to go out and build these amazing things or the open source projects that get popular. You know, even 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 you know any level of engineer really, but a lot of times people only have the ability to to spend their resources building these things is because they actually need it for their own job or for whatever side project they want to do. Otherwise, it would be too expensive to really spend all that extra time on it, and it wouldn't. It would probably be something that falls off and, and doesn't get doesn't get completed. You know, investment is important for these types of things. Um, that's what, that's another thing people don't realize. And also, you know, I've done my own startups and companies as well aside from the college one and you know trying to bootstrap that on yourself is another challenge as well 
where the, the likelihood of success is lower because of all these obstacles and, and time, uh, you know, obstacles getting in the way as far as your time and also money that's taking you away from that, that path. That's why getting an investment is one of the, the you know, there's no guarantees, but it's, it significantly increases your chances of success because it allows you to focus on the, on the company, on the product, and also allows you to get rid of these obstacles that keep popping up. Um, so yeah, anyway, back to the timeline around this time, uh, you know, learning about open source, learning about Node.js. Um, and, and there's, uh, another critical point as well. Like when I had did something in JavaScript, some of the other, other engineers at the company were impressed with it because they were, they were backend engineers. They didn't really understand at all asynchronous function, asynchronous at all. And I was like shocked by it because that's something that's very fundamental to JavaScript. Like you just have to know it. If you're doing like a, a click event, you know, it's going to be event-based. Or if you're doing like a request uh, and a function gets called, you know, that's going to, it's not going to right away return the result. Like if, if you're doing any kind of network request or IO, you know, there's other stuff that's happening with the code. The, the program keeps running yeah. before you get the result from that first one. So like it's, it's asynchronous. And just working with that flow was confusing to some of the other engineers. And the way I was able to structure things, they, they, their comments on it gave me a lot of confidence. They were like, well, you could, you could be making like, what I'm saying, you could be making $100,000 as like a front engineer. I was like, stop playing. What are you talking about? Um, at the time, I was making like 40, something like that. And I had no idea um, what he's saying was like exactly true. You know, and then uh, maybe six months or so or a few months later, you know, I was, I was, a friend of mine, really close friend of mine from high school, still friends today. Yeah, I got in a job at Salesforce and we had, we had actually, who was, was somebody I was working with on that startup I was talking about in, in college. And we had done some freelance contracts together. And it was, before that time, we didn't really know how much engineers was making. This was back in like 2013. So now around, around 22, 23. And he, he had gotten a salary of $125,000 um, to be like a back-end engineer at Salesforce. And it's a good friend of mine, Faison. And he, you know, at first, we, it was funny because at first when he told me about it, I, I don't even know if I told him, I should probably tell him this too. Like first when he told him about it, so I'm like, you know, why are you lying? Like in, my, in the back of my mind, he was telling me he's making, he got an offer for 125000 I'm like, well, why is he lying right now? I don't get it. Why is he lying about this? He's still doing it. But then eventually I kind of like warmed up to him. Like, wait a minute, he's actually making $125,000? What? That's crazy. Um, and then like, sure enough, a few months later, you know, I did my my thing going out to the market, uh, doing interviews. And um, at first, I was discouraged because I was doing applications and I wasn't getting responses. Um, and then you know, I remember I had did an application to Tumblr or something like that. But then they, they I think I got an email that they looked at the, either they looked at the resume and they didn't want to move forward in the beginning, or they just didn't respond at all. I, I don't remember exactly what happened. But at the time, I was, I was talking to my friends. I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend like another six months getting better, doing more research and stuff like that. But then they was like, no, no. Why would you do that? Just keep, just keep searching. So then, yeah, I, I, just, I just kept searching. And then, like, sure enough, like within a week, I got a response from a recruiter at the New York Times. And they had saw my resume. They saw Node.js on there, um, which was of, of high interest to the team that had an open role. So I did, I, you know, I got matched up with them. I did the interview, you know, somehow, you know, they asked very, very, um, as far as, out, like, it's not legal type questions. As far as algorithm questions, uh, it was like, you know, find duplicates type stuff. But I had never really done those type of questions before. So I'm, I'm lucky that I was able to figure it out on the time, at the time. 
Um, it's not the level of like a trees, whatever it is, you know, those basic stuff, like use the map, use the object, whatever it is. But you know, whatever it is, I'm lucky to be able to pass those parts of it. And then also well, one of them asked some specific questions about Node.js that I happen to to know about. So I got lucky there. You know, they could have asked me something that was completely different. You know, we never really know what's gonna happen during interviews. Um and then you know the the whole and I got that where I got hired as a senior engineer. And I was I was 23 at the time, a senior engineer at, at New York Times after that interview. And before that, you know, I had been doing mostly freelance and then those those roles I was talking about. But that was my first salary job, first full-time salary job. And I was I got a senior engineer role. Um, and that just goes to nice. show that it's not about, there's no like one thing. It's all about all these factors that add up. You know, my experience that helped me get the specific knowledge that they was interested in, you know, no yes on the resume. Boom. That was like, at the time, this was like around 20, 2012, 2013. Not many people was messing around with no yes. It had, had just came out 2009, but it takes a while to spread and get adoption. Um, so like just all that just kind of added up where it's like, okay, this guy knows no yes. He does a lot of good stuff for front end. Oh yeah. I also work with FFmpeg, you know, and that. The, the team at the New York Times was the video team. So like my profile was like a really good match yep. for what they were doing. Uh, and then just the question they asked, I was able, I just was able to figure it out. They could ask me different questions. You never really know. There's always gaps people have. They always could get questions that they don't know or they could get questions that they do know the answer to or, they, or that they could figure out. And you just never know how it's going to come about. Um, and then like just the perception that they had from my history and the, the, the amount of time I was working in the, like on my own since I was 17 getting paid to do it. Like, like I was doing it since I was 14, but I don't really count that really as part of my professional experience. I count when I was getting paid when I was 17, I was getting paid to do it. And like just because of that, that history and all those things I worked on, they, they had seen me and put me up for like the senior interview. Without even, I didn't even have to vouch for it. I didn't have to ask for it. There's many situations, especially companies like Google or you know the bigger companies where they put a really high importance on your title, they would, even if you have like 20 years of experience, um, they could look at your resume and say, okay, well, you didn't really work on that many high school type of things, or, you know, your organization was really small. So we consider you to be a mid-level engineer. Like they, they do that stuff. They download with people all the time. Um, so I feel like I was lucky to get into that environment to, to position me for like a senior position at, at such a young age. Um, and especially without even knowing like what it even takes to get there just from stuff that I had done um, just for fun as a hobby and also for work as well um, at, at, a, at a different, at a different capacity, not even like, you know, at a, at a, at a level of the New York times. So I got there, you know, it was, it was a great experience. There was another similar thing happened um, than the first one where I was trying to learn PHP. Uh, they said that they, they're doing a unit test and I was like, okay, unit test, unit test. So let me, let me, let me learn that. Let me, you know, become an expert in unit tests. I got like a course on it and everything. And then it turns out when I get there, they, they're not doing it yet. They, they're still learning how to do it. So I was like, I was the one who knew how to do it the most by the time I started. Um, this is another example of me like over preparing. But that was great too, because I got to, you know, show those skills to people, get a lot of respect because of it. You know, one person made a comment. It's like, I had like did, did something to, to fix their tests. And they're like, okay, you're smart. I'm, I'm not. And I'm like, no, no, it's not about that. I just, I just learned it. Uh, but they, they, they're cool. I like, I like them. Um, so that that was you know I was doing pretty good in New York Times, very good rapport with the team, um, you know worked on very visible things NewYorkTimes.com slash video, which is you can say it's like a hub kind of like a Hulu.com but like for for New York Times content only, and we built that it was one of the first Node.js applications at the New York Times, 
Um, and you know, it was I had a lot, it was a great learning experience. You know, I got to use caches like Memcache, um, you know, different databases working with, uh, dealing with larger scale systems, a lot of viewers. Uh, also got to still work with Flash as well. That's another reason when my profile just kind of lined up just magic, like really perfectly with them because they, they also use Flash for a lot of video type stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very, very good experience for me. Uh, but at the same time, I was always freelancing. I was still, I just had that, uh, that habit of free, always freelancing. And it was, a, it was a client of mine who was working on this app where it helps you find, helps you find out how to eat healthier. And at the time, I was I was doing this uh, no sugar diet. There was a uh, somebody at the company I forgot her name. She had a documentary out um, called Fed Up, and they had this thing called the Seven Day Challenge, where you're not supposed to eat any more, not no, no more than twenty five grams of sugar per day. And I did that, and I lost like seven pounds in a few weeks just by doing that. And I was like getting really into health things around that time. And when I saw that project, I was like, okay, that kind of resonates with me. And then you know I met with the I met with him, uh, and he was like he was really into like, my experience, you know, at New York Times, and my personal interests in like healthy eating. And he it was funny because on the call he was like, um, you know, would you ever work? Would you ever quit your job? Work full time on, on this company? And I was like, no. A lot of a lot of clients, I have you no. Know, many people have asked me about that before, and just it, it never happens. And then he was like, he was like, I think I can get you to, I think I get get you to work for me. And I was like, okay. In my mind, I was like, okay, that was kind of weird. <laughs> but then, you know, fast forward a few months later, I ended up, I, ended up, I did make the jump. I, you know, I did quit my job. And, 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 you know, when we first, you know, my job was to build, help build the MVP. And I put it in a friend of mine that I mentioned it from Salesforce. So we worked on the MVP and we were able to raise uh, $700,000 in the, in the seed round. So, you know, I joined the company as founding engineer with my friend. And, you know, we had gotten a sign-on bonus. I think it was like thirty thousand or so, and that was that was probably like that's like getting the sign-on bonus that helps to remove a lot of the risk associated with the jump, and you know, gives you a lot of confidence in it. And I think that that's one of the bigger things that helped me make the decision. Of course, where it's like that safety net and that you know that big number that I'm seeing, especially at the time, uh, that was a big number. And then of course, salary bumps. You know, we get increased salaries and everything like that. And then we had a good, great equity packages. You know, around two point five percent of the company, um, which is like amazing for like a founding founding engineer um, level. Um, for people who don't know, like how these stru- how these things get structured, usually we get like less than one percent because I, I wasn't like we was coming on as a CTO or anything like that. So it was like a really good package. You know, I, I had spoken with uh, one of these uh, external recruiters who I, who I who I you know came across to uh, during my my earlier searches, and he was like, you know what, you guys are young, you should, you should definitely go for it because we were still building the fence and you know we ended up making the jump um but funny enough it only lasted for like five months before the company shut down <laughs> um and you know it was still a great experience i'm still connected with the people still still really good friends um and they actually introduced us to a lot of different opportunities as well as far as like potential clients uh or you know referrals to companies because they had like a large network they were like uh exinga you know CEO was like the first 40, uh, one of the first 40 employees at Zynga. He was like the GM of Zynga Poker. You know, very, very big there. He had cashed out real big too from the IPO. Um, so they were like very connected people, very knowledgeable. And that was a great experience, great, great addition to the network. And 
through that t- through that time period, I remember um, even before I left the New York Times, I got to reach out from uh, somebody, from a recruiter at Google, and his the subject of his email. Um, now looking back, it's, it's interesting because now I kind of understand you know what the intentions are of recruiters, how they reach out, and like what the challenges they have. And he did, he had like a really good approach. He was like Google strong. The subject said strong interest from Google, and that's a very important thing to do because a lot of people have imposter syndrome or they, they see something, a place like Google and they think, oh, I'm not qualified to work there. You have to be like a super genius or something like that. You know, there's all these, these, these false misconceptions that are holding people back. So he, and he was specifically, you know, he was, he was a black recruiter. So he, he knew what the deal was, you know, reaching out to me. He was based on my LinkedIn profile. He saw my picture. You know what the deal was. A lot of minorities and women for whatever reason, uh, suffer from imposter syndrome more so than other groups. So yes. exactly. So him putting that in the title and then the subject, strong interest from Google, I feel like that that's something that helped me even like, you know, go for it. Cause I know a few friends of mine <clears throat> who got reached out from Google, they didn't even respond. So you know say the, the biggest tech company in the industry, the biggest company in the industry, top of the industry, reaches out to you and they don't even respond to them. So no, I'm not sure what messaging they got. They got different messaging and everything like that. But you know, when I see that strong is from Google, I'm like, okay. So they see it when I'm working. They see they 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 understand they actually want to hire me. And this is this is always the case. You know, even those recruiters that don't put strong interest, there's always there's still interest. They're reaching out to you because they want to hire you. Um, so that's, that's something that's good to internalize. And you know, I spoke with him. I told him this is actually around the time I was leaving New York Times to do a startup. You know, I told him that I was doing a startup. And that, you know, if I'll let you know how things go in a year or so and so on. And he was cool with that. Google is very, very known for keeping in contact with people over long periods of time and then eventually hiring them. So there, that was no problem at all. I was still in the pipeline. Uh, things were good there. Um, so by the time I had, uh, you know, been at the startup and then the startup shut down, uh, the, one of the, one of the co-f- co-founders of the startup, he was friends with the CFO of Facebook. So he got me uh, a referral into Facebook as well. So I was looking at Facebook, Google, like things were looking up. You know, I was, I was in, my, in my mind, I, w- I was potentially qualified to work there. So I was ready to prepare to, to interview or to, to, to study for the interview and all that stuff. And I was still looking at other options as well. And Uber came across those options. And that was a product that I had used. Um, that, you know, I liked the idea of it. I love the idea of it because you use the app and the car comes right to you. You know, at the time, this is like 2013. This is like still a relatively new concept that was still spreading across the world. And that was so common, commonplace. But it was, especially being in New York, people always ask, why do you have Uber in New York? Because there's so many taxis. Well, for one, you know, Manhattan is a city that's very dense. That's taxis over the place. But still, it's not everywhere. The coverage is not, you can't just go to any sidewalk and say, hey, give me a taxi. It doesn't work like that. And especially when you go outside of New York to Staten Island or, you know, Brooklyn or Queens, whatever, nothing like that at all. You got to call, you got to wait like an hour or so and you don't trust them because the meter, you don't really trust the meter. They say, sometimes they say it's broken. So there's all these, all these, all these uh, issues and, and, and concerns coming up that are washed away with that, especially the payment part of it. Like you just, you know, you just walk out. That's, that was another cool part of it. So that's, that's what, you know, it's funny. That's the type of thing that attracted me to it. I didn't realize the the technical level that they were on or how much they was paying or anything at all or how difficult the interview was you know a lot of people in the early days who go from google to uber like some of them got down leveled right so you could be a senior at 
at Google, but then you get that level to mid level when you go to Uber. You know, depending on your interview performance and so on. Just that's just to speak to the level of of uh, of uh, you know vigor of the of the engineering organization. And you know, they work with very high skill, a lot of real time stuff, tracking drivers throughout the trip, a lot of processing, uh, deciding which driver should be chosen for requests and so on. So, like when I entered the, when I entered that whole process. I was just thinking, okay, it's another, it's a, it was a cool company. They used, oh yeah, they also they used Node.js, which I loved at the time. And, you know, that was, that was it. But then when I started to realize, okay, wait a minute, this is like the big leagues. Um, so it was on the levels of the Facebooks and the, and the, and the Googles. Then I started to get excited about it and so on. Um, so yeah, so back, back when, um, you know, the startup shut down, I was doing my, my rounds, <clears throat> you know, prepping, cracking the coding interview, uh, Udemy courses. You know, I got this little little whiteboard. I got whiteboard paint, so I painted my wall with whiteboard paint, so I could I could like draw on it. But before that, I got this little thing I could stick up on there. I could I could do it, but it was so small. And I ended up painting the entire wall. Um, I think it's something I saw a long time ago that I was going to do, and I finally did it. And this is around like 2015. I was like 25. Um, I'm practicing like you know every day or every other day uh, as I'm doing contracts and so on. In the meantime, you know, after the the startup failed, I was doing a contract with Forbes. You know, a friend of mine for the New York Times had went over to Forbes because they were working on their, their, a side project that got acquired by Forbes, and then I was brought in to help to like you know make it scale, make it like you know more maintainable and so on, or like basically kind of redo a lot of a lot of the backend stuff for it. And it was a a social network for the Forbes Thirty Under Thirty. Um, so they, the idea was that they have all these communities, the billionaire communities, thirty on the thirty communities, and they want to be able to leverage them more than just you know these one big events and so on. So we built that out, you know, Node.js, I think of Mongo at the time, and the reasons for using that tech, you know, it wasn't really like Mongo wasn't the best choice for that. <laughs> it, it definitely basically basically what I remember from the requirements and the use case and so we need. I feel like it should have been like a MySQL, put, like some kind of relational database. But it's funny how I kind of gravitated towards Mongo at the time because of its association with Node.js and so on. And, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't really make too big of a deal because the app has gone through many iterations since I worked on it. So it goes back to what I was saying about like, you know, it doesn't really matter what you use at first. The, the, the idea of the app was just to be the kickoff for the whole concept of the social network for the Forbes communities, focusing on 30 under 30. And then, you know, using at this big event that they threw um, in Philadelphia. And it was a dope event. You know, I went to the event for the launch party and ASAP Rocket was there. They was, they was, they was um, going to have Fiddy Wap, but I think that was around the time he got into the accident. And then ASAP Rocket stood in. And that was, that was dope. You know, see him live, like a whole concert. It was a good vibe. You know, meeting a lot of people at Forbes. Uh, you know, learning a lot about how they got advertisers for the app and everything like that. It was like, a, it was a great experience. And during this time, I was going through the interviews. I had passed Google's. Um, oh, I had like them really good in Google Screen. Uh, going back to what I was saying about asynchronous in JavaScript, like there was a question that was involved with that. That was it was a, a lot more complicated than you know which would normally come across, even as a somebody who already knows JavaScript pretty well. And you know they were impressed with the answer I gave. And you know they had asked some follow up questions around if you can if you can give a talk on any topic right now, what would you talk about? And I was really into peer-to-peer communication stuff because of my experience with Flash. And I learned about these, you know, ARM FTP groups. And the idea behind that was, you know, I was broke, but I also wanted to build large applications. And I saw a peer-to-peer 
as a way to do that because you use other people's computers to power the app. If you if you open the app on your on your um your phone or or website whatever it is, and you want to send a message through the application, it's going from your computer directly to the other per other user, and then from their computer to another user, and so on. Kind of like BitTorrent, how there's no central server, just a bunch of people sharing files, chunks of files with each other. Um, and Spotify, a lot of people might not know this, but Spotify started out in a very similar way, <coughs> where a lot of the music that was being streamed was shared from one computer to another. You know, and they did it in a secure way to avoid you know, the songs from getting leaked. But that was, that was initially powering um, you know, Spotify. I can, I can imagine it saved a lot of costs, like massive infrastructure costs. So it makes a lot of sense for a startup to do that. But um, I guess there was issues with reliability, right? Because somebody turns their laptop off or their computer off, then you lose access to at least like part of the network. You got to wait till they come back on and so on. So there's challenges with it. There's, there's, there's always trade-offs for everything. The benefit is lower costs. And in some cases, better performance, but in a lot of cases, slower performance um, and, you know, less what they call availability, which means that, you know, the service can be down or a portion of it or some data could be inaccessible for a certain period of time. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was interesting because the, you know, I had gotten a really good review from the recruiter who was saying, wow, and it was actually, he said it was a very senior engineer who had interviewed me and he gave me glowing feedback. And I was like, wow, I'm very excited for the next round. Um, but I did my 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 Uber screens and everything like that. I, I, at some point, I got an offer from Shutterstock. They was paying $155,000 um, for the base. And uh, so I forgot how much, like $35,000 in stock or something like that. And I was like super excited about that. I was talking to my friends. I was like, yo, stop me from accepting this offer because I feel like I'm about to accept it. So I was about to, and this is a mistake I see a lot of times, especially for um, people in my, in my community, where you you know we see these things, we, our eyes light up from these numbers, but we're not even realizing how small they are. Um, and it's all relative, you know, as far as America goes, making one hundred fifty five thousand dollars, even in, even in, even ten years later in twenty twenty three, is still significant. But that's not what I was I had more accessible to me, you know. So it was great that I didn't accept the offer because I ended up. Interviewing with Uber, you know, I passed the passed the phone screen, passed the on-site, and they moved quick. You know, that was a real startup. They they, they release products quick. They do recruiting quick too. They got me my offer. Meanwhile, Google pushed back my my on-site to be two weeks, um, even later than I planned. So I was like, you know what? You know, I'm very excited about about Uber. You know, I met a few Google engineers at Uber who who work there now during my my trip to the on-site. And you know, a lot of Facebook people, Amazon people, like all these, all these people coming together from all these big companies because they see the, you know, it's a startup. There's potential to make a lot of money when it goes public and so on. Uh, you know, so it just made a lot of sense for me at the time to move forward Uber. So I, I, del- I just uh, accepted, accepted the Uber offer, uh, and I didn't move forward with the onsite for Google. And this was like back in in 2015, uh, and that's where, you know. I actually got, I got the senior engineer title as well at Uber, but you know, looking at what I know now, which I didn't know at the time, that was actually very significant because there's some people call them tiers, like tier one, tier two, three, whatever. You know, sometimes it could be a little elitist, so I don't like it too much in that sense. You know, depending on how you're talking about it, but in some case, yep, exactly. So in some cases, you know, you have companies that are regularly working at high scale, you know, very complex large organizations where. 
communication becomes a problem, right? You have to be able to learn how to operate in, type of, in that environment to get the resources you need or to have the foresight to prepare things um, so that things are going well and so on. But um, these type of companies, like like I mentioned before, now Uber even was down-leveling. And again, down-leveling is when you are a certain level, like a senior engineer at one company, but then you go to interview at another company and they tell you, actually, you're not a senior, you're a mid-level or you're a junior or so on. And you know, people Uber was downloading Google engineers in, in some cases, and of course, vice versa, right? It just goes, it goes depending on the result of the interview or you know the feedback and so on. So coming from New York Times, you know, I heard stories about people, and this is after the fact who, who went from New York Times to Facebook and they, they got downloaded. Like the bar at the New York Times, they don't consider it to be the same as like a as an Uber, Google, uh, etc. Um, even when I was applying to Airbnb back in 2021, more recently. Um, you know, they were saying, okay, I'm at Uber. They they considered that to be like a peer company. Um, so there was no concern about me interviewing uh, for senior or even senior and above type levels. Uh, but like for New York Times, they, they would consider that to be, you know, they would have to make a case or it would be based on your, the actual background. What, what have you worked on? Okay, that experience is senior level. You're going to stay a senior. Or if not, you know, they look at what you do and say, okay, actually, we, we want to interview for mid-level and then, you know, see how you do. Um, so yeah, me getting that senior level at Uber was another big step up in my career. Um, on top of being a senior, as being a senior at a, at a one of the one of a big tech company that's like focuses solely on engineering, with one of the you know, best practices, you know, world class practices, high skill, and so on. And you know, it's a lot of a lot of reputation in the industry in general because I feel like me have having been at Uber gives a positive bias if I go on interviews at other companies. Uh, smaller companies, they say, "Oh, you worked at Uber." It's like it's like if you worked at Google, right? People say, "Oh, you worked at Google. You must be a really good engineer." It's a similar concept. And a lot of things with investors, right? The people, there's a whole investor community that looks for fang engineers, and they just they they do way less diligence or they take calls way more often just because you worked at these certain companies. So I think that was I would say that's, that was another big inflection in my my career. Um, and then I was at Uber for about. A year, you know, it's like a year and ten months or so. And then when I look back, it turned out I was at Uber, I was at New York Times for that around that same amount of time, um, and the other place I was at for the same amount of time. So if you go, if you look at my LinkedIn, you see like a bunch of year and ten months, just like except for right now. Like right now, I passed that mark, Airbnb. But like for a lot of my career, somehow magically, I decided to. It was time to go <laughs> after a year and ten months. Yeah, I don't know how it works, but the average tenure is like two years. That, that's time I looked at it. So it's in line with the average tenure. Yep. Um, yeah, like that, that was a, a, a big, a big transition. And, you know, same, same before I was still doing freelance projects on the side, but then, you know, Uber had this amazing bonus structure, um, which is actually common. You know, at the time it was, it was novel to me, but it's, it's common in big tech where you have your performance reviews and, you know, depending on how well you do, you get a rating so you can get, you know, meets expectations, which means that you met expectations and you, you know, you don't get fired basically <laughs> or you know you, you get a bonus you get your bonus as you expect and so on um and, and what they emphasize is that and it's funny because they, they actually did the same as i think at Airbnb recently um where you know meets expectations they say meets high like like for Airbnb they say meets Airbnb's high expectations and uber i forgot exactly the phrase they use but um, as my manager communicated to me meeting expectations like an uber or Airbnb is actually a significant thing. Like it's a good achievement 
Um, it's, it's not to say that it's average performance. It's to say that you're meeting the high, because there's a high bar. They, they made this, they, they drive this into the culture, always raising the bar, always raising the talent bar, you know, always getting better and better every year. So to me, expectation, to meet expectations is actually means you're, you're performing very highly. Um, and that's, and then if you're doing like, you know, meet some expectations, that's seen as you're not improving like you should be. So you, you may get like less of a, so what they call is a multiplier. Um, and the, and the purpose of these performance reviews are just to really codify and, and get on paper how well you're doing and determine what your reward for doing that well is. Um, and these types of high performance cultures, like the, the Facebooks, Googles, they do the same thing. They reward you based on how well you're doing, and they try to use that the money to help people, you know, keep people engaged and keep people high performing. Kind of like you know the carrot stick, right? Stick and carrot, golden handcuffs, that that type of thing. So when you get meets some expectations, then you know, sure you met some of the expectations, but it's not what we're looking for. So you get you get less of your bonus basically. And there's something called a multiplier, which is a number that you multiply against the standard bonus for your level. Um, so let's say, you know, exact numbers, you know, they don't like to spread the exact numbers. This, you can probably find online the levels and so on. But let's say for a certain senior level, and this is a, a, this, this is a small number I'm making up, 10,000, right? This is a small number for a bonus. Um, let's say you're getting $10,000 for a bonus and you meet expectations. You're going to get that $10,000. But if you meet some expectations, you know, you may get a, a smaller multiplier, which is like less than one. So it makes the number smaller. You get like a, a 0 0.8, let's say, or even like, you know, 0 0.7. And you only get $7,000 instead of the 10000 And then there's another level. There's exceeds expectations. And what exceeds expectations, you, you may get, you know, 50% uh, more than the bonus. So like you begin $15,000 because you take 1.5 and you multiply it by the 10,000. That's how you get your, you know, the the multiplier amount that you get. And then there's greatly exceeds expectations, you know, where it could be like, you know, uh, twice as much and so on. Uh, so you get $20,000 instead. So now imagine the numbers we're talking about are six figures, right? You now imagine it was $100,000. By the way, 100000 is still lower than the actual amount. <laughs> I'm still saying numbers are lower than the actual amount. So let's say you get $100,000, right? That means that if you only meet some, you're getting seventy seventy thousand um, dollars. And this and this is um, there's there's two different types of bonuses. I realize I'm mixing them up. So there's a cash bonus, and then there's the the equity refresher. And you know this term is not as popular outside of some some circles, but like at companies where you get stock compensation, part of your bonus comes in cash, part of it in equity. So as far as the equity refreshers. That's where the, the six-figure bonus comes in. And then as far as like the cash bonus, it's still like, you know, about only like around around half of that and so on. Um, so we're talking big numbers. So as so going back to even why I started down this path, I was talking about how I do a lot of freelancing stuff on the side. Now I'm looking at Uber structure. And at the time, Uber structure was a little bit more aggressive than other companies. They were paying like a 2X is not not a common multiplier. That's my example. It would be more, it would be a little, bit, a little bit less than two times, you know. Close to the close to the one point five or so on, <clears throat> for the greatly exceeds. Um, but at the time, it was like two or even above two for greatly exceeds and so on. Um, so they were really going for rewarding high performance. So I looked at that and I was like, okay, do I want to spend my time, uh, you know, freelancing, doing extra work on the nights and weekends, burning myself out, 
Or do I just want to focus and make sure I, I perform very well on my, my one job and get a bonus that's going to pay probably more than the, the side projects that I'm be doing for overall less work? Uh, so that's why I kind of shifted towards focusing more on you know, performance and so on. And, you know, it was, it was mixed because, you know, yes, I got, I got meets at the time for, for Uber. And um, I think I was there for about two performance reviews. And the bonuses in the multipliers and so on were still good. Uh, but nowadays, I, Airbnb, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to get exceeds, you know, from, my last, from all my reviews since I joined. Nice. Um, which has been great. You know, trying to gear up for a promotion to staff and Nice. Um, and, you know, just a little bit of tangent. The interesting thing about, uh, and for people who don't know, staff engineer is a, a level above senior. So you got like your junior, your mid-level, your senior, and then your staff engineers that, that are above seniors. And the crazy thing about how the way promotions work, even if you are at that level, as far as like your ability or your skill set and your knowledge, it doesn't matter. You're not going to just get that promotion. You know, that may be the case for the senior promotion because with the senior promotion, the, 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 the rule, and these are all based on the rules that I said, different companies, right? Companies can have different rules, but generally speaking across big tech, um, senior promotions are solely by the manager. The manager says, okay, this guy's ready. Let's make him a senior. And then that's it. But when it comes to staff engineer or above, it's not as simple as that. Um, it has to go through a, a promo committee. So this is a committee of independent co-workers who are not working on your team, who are not working with you. They likely don't even know who you are. They're looking at pieces of paper as a record. And you have to create this thing called a promo packet, which is like, you know, sometimes it could be 15 pages, 10 pages, 20 pages, depending on who you are. Uh, and then you, and then afterwards they get this packet, they review it and so on. And they look at all the evidence that says you should be at a certain level. And if they decide you should be, you get promoted. If not, you know, if there's anything wrong, you don't get promoted. No matter how how closely you were, um, no matter how skilled you actually are, you just got to actually pass that part of it. Uh, you got to pass that that promo committee to get officially um, up a level to the next level. And there's a lot of times, especially at the big companies like this, people don't make it their first time they go around. You know, people go up for promotion and they they say, okay, you haven't done as much in this area or there's like gaps here. So we don't feel confident in bringing you to this level. And then they do it again. And then, and then they, they finally get the promotion or sometimes three times or sometimes never, you never really know. Um, and then what's the surprising thing to most people is they actually are, you know, for, for most, for the most part, a lot of these people are qualified for that level. They just didn't get to prove it. And then the thing about having to prove it is not just about doing your work normally and then saying, okay, you did great work. It's more about, what work you even get to do. And that's where like random chance comes in. So let's say you want to get promotion to staff engineer. The requirements are you have to work on a very complex, big project um, that spans across multiple teams and has a big impact to the company as far as revenue or as far as, you know, reducing the amount of time engineers need to work on something, some kind of efficiency, some kind of, some kind of something. That type of project doesn't just come along. Like you have to actually do work to figure out how to get that, like how to, how to, how to get to there. Like you have to identify gaps in the company nice. where you're the one who, you're the one. So a lot of times, you know, everybody in the company is doing work, right? But where do these tasks come from? You know, they're still coming from other people at the company. If it's not you right now, maybe you're a junior, maybe you're mid-level, maybe you're even senior, but there's somebody either above you or your peer or potentially below you 
who is coming up and realizing that the company needs to do this to move forward. So at a certain point, if you want to get promoted like above senior, you got to be into that mindset of identifying these gaps that the company has and saying, okay, we need to build this to cover those gaps. And, and that's where you know, it starts to come in, where you can get your project to prove on paper that you can do this. Um, sometimes you get lucky, maybe even a lot of time, not, not, it's not super rare, but it's not as common as you would, as you would think for something for getting promoted. But sometimes you know, through your normal day job, there's just a need and the task you have or a project really not a task that, that covers these points of like being large scale, being complex, working across teams, making a big impact as far as revenue or efficiency and so on. Um, but a lot of times you got to go out and find those yourself and create those opportunities for yourself. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. We hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights from our discussions. If you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on various outlets such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts so that you can stay updated on our latest episodes and never miss a beat. Or you can go to techroyalty.net. Thank you again for listening to our podcast, and we look forward to sharing more valuable content with you in the future. This is Mike Legema, and I'm out.